Well, good evening, Redeemer. Glad you can be here tonight with us. And if you happen to be uh, visiting with us, we want to give you a very special welcome and glad you can be part of this time of worship. Uh, We'd hope to get to know you a little bit better. Uh, One of the ways we do that is encourage you to text the word welcome uh, to the number that's on the screen that helps us know that you are with us. Uh, One of the other things we like to do is to invite you to our Redeemer open house. And the one for January is going to be on uh, January 21. And there's more detail about that in the bulletin. There's a little link Uh, that you can uh, sign up for that so they are aware of your attendance. And it's just a a handful of people from the church getting together for lunch. It's a great opportunity to get to know a few people a little bit better. We have this coming Saturday, as I mentioned this morning, our food pantry, which uh, meets from 10 to 11 a.m. We appreciate your donations as well as those that are willing to come and serve and be part of uh, helping those in our community. And then also just encourage you again to just look at some of the details for which Bible studies are getting started uh, again after our Christmas break this coming week. So let's take this moment now and prepare our hearts as we come before our God in worship. If you were going to compare God's resume with your resume, who would you trust to run your life? It's kind of obvious when we think about it that way. The scripture is very clear on all the pages that God has given to us that his works are great and are mighty and he is most worthy of our trust. The psalmist said in Psalm 111, great are the works of the Lord studied by all who delight in them. Full of splendor and majesty is his work, and his righteousness endures forever. Well, let us praise the God because glorious things he has done as we stand together.
Most gracious God and Heavenly Father, we come with thankful hearts that you uh, have revealed yourself to us, that you have demonstrated by your work in creation, uh, showing uh, the work of your hand by your special revelation in Scripture, uh, helping us uh, in your personal revelation to each uh, of your prophets, to the people that you have revealed yourself to, and then even recording it for us, for our benefit, that we would know you in a personal way because of the life, death, and resurrection of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And we thank you that as we come uh, to you uh, this night, we can come with confidence by faith that you are truly our God. Amen.
Please be seated. Tonight, for our prayer for missions, uh, we're highlighting the work of Alpha Care Center in Lowell. Uh, I am not Brian Bangma, as you can tell. He is feeling under the weather. <clears throat> so we'll keep the Bangma family uh, as long as, as well as others from Redeemer uh, who are also feeling under the weather in our prayers. But uh, he passed along a number of requests and announcements from Alpha, Alpha Care Center. So I'm going to read through them um, because they're more than just kind of announcements that uh, give us an update on the organization, but they're opportunities for us as a church to specifically help. And then I'll summarize them in prayer. So first, uh, these upgrade, updates were shared by Stephanie Wellwood, who is the new executive director, and uh, she starts in her job tomorrow. So that's uh, both a matter of praise and uh, also something that we want to lift her up in prayer. She's been with the organization for five years, and uh, she's familiar with it, of course, but will be stepping into that expanded and important responsibilities. And what she shared with us, first of all, they have a couple of volunteer needs. Uh, the first is for client advocate and receptionist volunteers. We have had to reduce our hours because we don't have enough coverage. We're currently not able to offer evening hours. Our greatest need is Tuesday and Thursday from 4 to 7 p.m. for client advocates and Wednesday and Thursday from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. for receptionist. Uh, there's a short-term need. Need volunteer for snow removal for February and March. Our maintenance person that we have lined up is out of town for those months. Third, they're looking to have a church or a small group or life group participate in meal train services for clients who have delivered a baby. They have this service currently for their Lake Odessa clients, but they're looking to have this available for their Lowell clients as well, where they would get up to three meals uh, following the birth of their baby. She asked specifically for prayer for one of the mothers under their care. They refer to her as Mama C. She's being induced early for medical reasons and is very concerned about the welfare of her baby. We are concerned about her spiritual welfare as she is not interested in hearing anything about God and his love. We are trying to connect with her to form that relationship so she will feel more comfortable talking to us. And we have coming up on January 21st, Sanctity of Human Life Sunday, and uh, we want to pray that uh, Alpha Care Center will be able to continue to forge relationships with local churches and be able to expand the awareness that the community has um, around their organization and the services that they offer. Let's join our hearts together and lift these needs up in prayer. Dear God, uh, as we gather here together tonight, <clears throat> we are just uh, so reminded of the ways that you provide resources to care for those that are in need. Uh, when we think of crisis pregnancy and those that are utilizing the services of Alpha Care Center and, and other organizations like that, we realize that those are individuals who are frightened, vulnerable, uh, and are those that, that are just ripe for the devil to prey on. And Lord, we ask that you would raise up churches like Redeemer and others around it in the Lowell area to support the needs and uh, provide the resources for an organization like Alpha Care Center. We ask that you would specifically uh, provide the volunteers needed for the needs that they have, both short-term and long-term. We ask, Lord, that uh, they would be able to cover the meal trains needed for their, uh, their mothers as they deliver. And Lord, we ask that you would be with this particular individual, uh, Mama C, as they refer to her, that uh, you would work within her heart. Lord, we know that um, only you are able to lift the veil uh, that is just uh, covering our sinful hearts from understanding your grace and just what a wonderful message of salvation is available to those who want to receive it. And we ask that you would work through the work of uh, Alpha Care Center uh, in this woman's life. Lord, we also think of Sanctity of Human Life Sunday coming up. 
And we just long for the day when we will think of abortion as something in the past, uh, something that was, was a horrible thing in our history, uh, liken it to something like slavery, where we just can't imagine it today. Um, Lord, we know we're just so far from that in today's environment, but we also know that you are a God who is capable of working things beyond uh, even what we can imagine, and we ask that you would do so um, in this area, and that you would use churches like ours to support the needs of those who are vulnerable and who have found themselves in circumstances that they don't know how to get out of, uh, and show other alternatives and other ways uh, that glorify you. Lord, all this we bring before you uh, through the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Please stand together and let's sing, Let Your Kingdom Come. standing for our prayer of thanksgiving. Uh, I am Jonathan, but I am not Dr. Beakey, so we can pray for him as well. He's asked me to pray because he's not, he's sick as well, so we lift uh, all these people up in prayer. Let's go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, we deeply desire your kingdom to come as we have just sung. We thank you for this glorious hope in Christ that it could be tonight or even this week. Help our lives be living sacrifices that we offer with full devotion to you. We thank you for not only the promise that we have of eternal life, but in this life, 
the promises that prepare us to point to you in every aspect of life. Thank you that you have promised to always provide for us, to protect, to lead us in the way that we should go, to never leave us or forsake us. And even your promises for healing. Lord, we know that you are the great physician, Lord Jesus, and we ask for those who are uh, feeling uh, unwell uh, tonight and during this particular season, has it been particularly bad, uh, asking for your mercy and your help for them. Lord, we also ask you to work uh, in our hearts spiritually as there are a variety of uh, sicknesses that this world seeks uh, us to catch as well, false hope and lies and things that will never uh, deliver like the true hope we have in Christ. And we ask that you enable us to honor you in the offering of our lives, uh, but also at this time as we give of our tithes and of our offerings. And we pray it in Jesus' most holy name. Amen. You may be seated. Right. Well, if you want to turn with me in your copies of Scripture to Matthew chapter 11. We're going to be looking at verse 20 through 24. Just like we stepped into our, our previous series, the series we were doing before uh, Advent. Uh, and we're, we're stepping uh, back into uh, our series on the Shorter Catechism. And uh, the goal with this series is to uh, expose you uh, to some of the basic beliefs of the Christian faith, uh, especially as uh, they, uh, we understand them here at the church. Uh, you do not have to be, uh, you don't have to subscribe to this to be a member of our church, but uh, church officers like elders and deacons and the pastors all do. 
Uh, so we think this is a, a faithful summary of the teaching of Scripture. And uh, I've really enjoyed getting to preach through these. It's a kind of a different way to preach, at least in terms of preparation and how I structure sermons. But, but particularly, I've enjoyed getting to touch on various uh, topics, some that are really well known, others less known, uh, some that, uh, that we've uh, we spend a lot of time on, maybe even sun- every Sunday, but others we, we don't get to dive into as deeply. Uh, and so tonight we're going to be looking at Matthew 11, verses 20 through 24, and bringing that uh, alongside, within, we're going to have alongside that uh, the shorter catechism to, to help us understand a particular truth. Uh, but first, this is the reading of God's Word. Then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done, because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazon! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. So far, the reading of God's word. Now, Westminster Shorter Catechism, verse... or. or Question and answer 83. Are all transgressions of the law equally heinous? Some sins in themselves and by reason of several aggravations are more heinous in the sight of God than others. Let's go to him now and ask his help. Father, we are, we are thankful that, that we can draw near to you in prayer. Uh, Lord, that you hear uh, our, our cries for help. And as we approach your word in a, in a difficult passage and potentially a difficult truth, uh, we pray that, that you would uh, give us an openness uh, to what you uh, reveal in your word. Uh, that uh, some of the things that may be uncomfortable about it, Lord, that that would not keep us from, from drawing near to it and embracing it and, and even letting it impact the way that we view our lives. Father, we thank you for the hope that we have in Christ. We thank you for his mercy and his grace and for the work of your spirit in our hearts even now. Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, when I was first starting out in ministry, uh, and I say that as as being a volunteer youth uh, intern, uh, I was trying to read as much as I could to, to continue to grow. I didn't grow up in the church, and so there was a lot that I still didn't understand. And I found that reading books was uh, a helpful way to, to learn and, and to hear. And you have different teachers that would teach in different ways that, uh, that, that might be useful. Uh, they might say the same doctrine, but in different words. And allow it to, to, to get more deeply into your heart. But it was about three years in uh, that, uh, that I first ran across someone uh, that I wasn't quite so sure. He started to say some things that 
uh, sounded kind of right, but also struck me as wrong. One of the things that he uh, was a really big proponent of, and I should say, thankfully, he, he's no longer in ministry anymore, and you, it's really difficult to get his writings. Uh, one of the things that he would say is that, that basically all sin is the same. Every kind of sin that, that we might run across is, is, in essence, the same and should be treated the same. Uh, that to do otherwise would to, to go against the grace of Christ, was to think more highly of yourself than you ought. And so whenever it comes to sin, we should, we should trust in the grace of Christ, forgive the person, and just move on. Now, maybe you are not thinking of the same specific theologian I'm thinking of, but maybe you've heard something similar to that. It's not, I, I want to address this particular teaching, and, and thankfully, this comes up because of the Shorter Catechism. Uh, the Shorter Catechism helps us to, to touch on these topics where there can be some distortion in teaching, things that might have the ring of, of truth but are in fact something that could lead us very far away from it. And so tonight we're considering this idea, are all sins equal, equally heinous, equally bad? Is there, is there any sin that is worse than another? And I, I've already tipped my hand by reading the cat, shorter catechism and the way that I'm talking about this, but I think the answer is strongly no. All sins are not the same. There are some that are worse than others. I'm going to need to explain that a little bit more because that, that may not sound quite right. But, but as we examine our passage tonight, hopefully bring along some other passages as well, I hope we can see why this is actually a very important thing that we would hold that there are some sins that are worse than others. And so looking at our passage tonight, it's Matthew 11. Jesus is, has, been, uh, has been teaching about how the, the, the people of Israel have been responding to his ministry. And if you know anything about the gospel stories, Jesus does have an audience that follows him, but, but most of Israel does not listen. They, they, they are not heeding what he's saying. They, they like his mir- miracles, they like the works that he does, but they don't follow through. They just treat him like he's a miracle worker or a good teacher. But they don't treat him as the Messiah who has claim on their life. And when he calls them to repent, they do not respond. And so it's at this point we step into verse 20. It says, Then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done. Because they did not repent. So he goes on to pronounce these woes. That is a a pronouncement of judgment. A pronouncement of of dread. And this is where we get into this first question of ours. Are some sins worse than others? And this passage, verses 22 and 24, indicate that immediately. Immediately. It says, but I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. 
And it says, but I tell you that it will be more tolerable on on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. We see more bearable, more tolerable. The judgment that is to come on the, these lands where Jesus has been preaching, that judgment is greater upon them than it is on, on these famous cities from the Old Testament, cities and lands that, 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 that stood against God in their unrighteousness and their sinfulness. Scripture teaches that there is a coming day of judgment when Christ returns, when all people will be judged receiving according to what they have done that's that's the teaching of uh, of especially revelation if you read toward the end of it it's clear there is coming a day of judgment and what we see is that the the severity of the punishment on that day is not equal it's not the same some sin is treated worse than others Some will face far greater judgment for their acts of injustice. If you you think this is maybe just contained to this passage, you you could look at Matthew 16 as well. It says, For the Son of Man is going to come with His angels in the glory of His Father, and then He will repay each person according to what He has done. Or 2 Corinthians 5.10 where it says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. So that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in his body, whether good or evil. I mean, even in Ecclesiastes, it says, For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. There is a judgment that is coming. And it will not be the same for every person. It's not just a a leveling of every person, a, a, a quick wiping away. There is degrees in the kind of judgment that that will be faced because of the sin that has been perpetrated. And this, it may sound to you like I'm beating this drum pretty hard. Maybe to some of you, this is just intuitive and obvious because of experience. It's not simply the number of times someone has done wrong against you. Sometimes it's what they've done to you that's so far worse. The, the betrayal of a close friend is oftentimes worse than, than the betrayal of an acquaintance. Parents, you know this with your kids, that, that even though you have two kids and they maybe did the thing, the older kid is the one that led the other one into it. The, the, the three-year-old was far more innocent than the seven-year-old. We know this from our experience. This is the foundation for, for, for punishment within the law system. There are different degrees of murder. It's not all treated the same. There is sin that is, is truly more heinous, as the catechism says, truly worse than other kinds of sin. And distorted grace makes all sin fall into the same heinousness. And to be clear, the teaching that some sins are worse than others does not mean that all sins do not receive condemnation. 
that some sin will, will allow you to escape, escape through. The, the, the wages of sin is death, and that is true no matter what the sin is. Herman Boving, one of my favorite theologians, he says, between good and evil, there is no gradual transition. A person consents or does not consent to the law of God. The law of God is an organism that when violated in one of its commandments is violated in its totality. For God who gave the commandment was the one who was violated. And he is the author of all the other commandments as well. There are no kind of law breakers and kind of law keepers. You're either a law keeper or a law breaker. And if you're a law breaker, the sentence is condemnation and judgment. That's the default. That's the wages you earn. All sins are a violation of God's law and, and therefore deserves judgment. That, that truth, that's something that, that uh, we'll unpack next Sunday night. Yet it is one thing to say that all sinners are in need of grace. It is a completely different to say that all sins are, so all sins are equal. They are not. And this leads to the natural question, what, what makes one sin worse than another? And so it's to that question we, we should look at verses 21 and 23. It says, Woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. There's something similar there in, in verse 23. Those who had been witness to the mighty works of God uh, in Jesus, they did not believe and they did not repent. Their sin is one of unbelief, which is shared with Sidon and Tyre. And that tells us that, that even though these are similar kinds of sin of unbelief, they are treated differently. Why is it? Why is there greater condemnation? They, these, these places in Israel were worse off than these famous bad towns and lands of old. Why was their unbelief worse? Well, first, it's, it comes along with their knowledge of the truth. If you look at these, these bad towns, these were all heathen Gentile towns that, that did not have God's law written down. They had it in their heart as natural law, but they had not received the oracles of God. That was entrusted to the Jews. They, they had no law and no prophets. They were not anticipating a Savior to come. These, these towns and, and lands that Jesus condemns in his woes, they did. They knew what to expect. They knew what the standard was more clearly and more obviously than those towns of old. We see as well the, the presence of Jesus. Jesus is God in the flesh. And he was performing mighty deeds for their eyes to see, and he was proclaiming the truth of the gospel, and they rejected it. 
is far worse than, than, than those, those the Tyre and Sidon and Sodom who, who got a message in part, but it was not the same as having Jesus Christ there before them, God in the flesh. And so the rejection of Jesus was far greater. The clarity of Jesus' message, what was proclaimed in shadow of old, was there in substance before their eyes. As you, they couldn't claim some sort of ignorance because they saw Jesus, saw what he was doing, and still did not believe and did not repent. Each of these, these play into why their unbelief was so much worse than, than the unbelief of, of these well-known wicked places. The larger catechism helps draw this out a little bit more too because there's other places in Scripture that, that touch on these things. What makes certain sins worse? If you remember, it's a, the shorter catechism says, by, by reason of several aggravations. What aggravates sin and makes it worse? The first category is who is committing the offense. That it is worse when someone who is older or who has been entrusted with more, when a leader sins. You ever wondered why the punishment of, of Moses was so far worse than the Israelites? The Israelites were being, were being little brats, running around, causing all sorts of problems, you parents, again, you, you, you might be prone to think, Moses is right to, to lose it a little bit, right? Moses had been basically perfect his whole ministry, and he strikes the rock twice, and is banned from going, crossing into the promised land. It's because of Moses' position. It's because of who he was that made his sin worse. His losing of, of his anger was far worse because of his position. Likewise, it is far worse whenever a pastor commits a particular sin as compared to someone who is not an ordained member of the church. We are held to higher standard. And so what, what may not be as big of a deal for a layperson, it is it is highly significant for a pastor you can imagine if i start spouting off something really wrong and terrible you're you might be more inclined to believe me because i'm a pastor versus somebody who who maybe has not gone through the training and has been ordained to teach the offense is far worse because of my position likewise there Offenses can be worse because of who they're, who they're offending, who they're going against, whether it's God directly or those who are in a higher position. It's actually worse when you sin against a brother or sister in Christ because Christ has died for that person. They're covered in his blood, especially other members who are weaker, those who 
those who are more vulnerable among us, we are called to lift them up and bestow on them greater dignity and honor. And when we sin against them, we're not doing that. Likewise, the nature of the offense. Did the sin move beyond the heart to action? Looking at pornography is not as as heinous as actually committing adultery. That's not to say that they're, that they're not both sin. They both are. But they are different in degree. To act on what's going on in the heart is far worse in the same way as, as murder is far worse than just in, in being angry in your heart. Both are sin. One is worse. Likewise, if, if a sin is deliberate, it's worse than whenever it's unintentional. When it's done frequently, it's worse than whenever it's done infrequently. If it's done with delight, it's worse. An example of this would be is someone who is poor and cannot afford to buy a meal. Whenever they steal, it's not as bad as whenever someone who has the means but steals because of the rush that it gives them, because of the delight of of stealing something from somebody else. This is is a part of, of how sin gets aggravated, is the intentionality, the clarity, the understanding The more you know, the more that that your capabilities have been given to you, the more responsible you are to much, to one who much has been given, much will be required. This is why whenever something comes up and there's a dispute between a couple and there's someone who is being abusive and the other person the other person is, is saying, well, I, I, I sinned. I, I recognize that I maybe didn't do everything right. And the abusive person, who's, who's the one who is harming the other, says, well, see, they sinned too. We're both sinners. We're both sinners. And so that means uh, this all equals out. There is some sin that is worse. To harm someone you love that loves you in such a tragic way, whenever they, they maybe forgot something, that, those are not equal. And if we act like they are, we do injustice. We are not living in accord with God's word if, if we treat all sin as if it was equal. Here's the thing, though. Our standard cannot be our feelings. It cannot be what what makes sense to me is worse. There are principles that we see in Scripture, and, and I encourage you to read through God's Word this year with an eye toward this. That some sins are treated worse, and there's a reason why. It's, it's most often the intentionality of that sin, the, the knowingness of what is taking place that makes it worse, that aggravates it. We cannot treat all sins as if they're equal. Some must be dealt with severely in order that that righteousness might be abound, that, that justice might be done. 
This does not mean that we do not pursue a path of grace and forgiveness. But we need to recognize that some offenses are worse than others. This leads me to my last question, and this is, this is where my heart goes in a passage like this, and I hope, it, I hope at least some of you feel this way too. So then how does Christ think of our worst sins? If not all sins are equal, and I look back over my life, I can tell there's some things I've done that are really wretched. It's not the, uh, not the uh, you know, eating of the cookies when I shouldn't have. You know, my mom told me not to, and I did it. It's not calling a friend a mean name when I was in the seventh grade. I've really hurt friends. I've done some things that are really wrong. And when I look at my life and I see the, the condemnation I deserve... I know I can't ultimately plead that somebody else is worse than me, but I know the severity of my sin. I know how great it is. I know how aggravated it is, especially since becoming a pastor. I'm called to be a a, a standard, a a model of righteousness in in my living, in my conduct, and and you may excuse me and say that, that, well, you're just a man, and that is true. And yet my sin, my failures to follow God might serve as a model for you. I take that very seriously. And it's a fearful thing. Were it not for the grace of Christ, I could not do this. I would be too afraid that my sin would be so far great. When I was going into ministry, my grandfather, who is a a Church of Christ elder, he probably led 50, 60 people to to the Lord through door-to-door evangelism ministry. He warned me. He said, what you go to do could lead others astray. You need to be careful. That warning almost scared me away. Were it not for the grace of Christ, I could not do this. Because no matter how great the sin, Christ's grace is greater. When Adam sinned as our representative, he he plunged us all into sin. It became the default way that we lived and and the mode of operation. Because of that, we, we all deserve death. That act as as all of our representative, that was a great sin. That was a heinous, heinous sin. But the grace of Christ is far greater. And that's Paul's point in Romans 5 when he says, Therefore, as one trespass led condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, So by the one man's obedience, the many were made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace might also reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Where sin increased, grace abounded. Where the greatness of our sin seemed to overwhelm us. The greatness of Christ's love 
far surpasses that. And in case you, you, you might be wondering, is, is that really how we're supposed to take Romans 5? Romans 6 then, Paul takes on the question, should we then sin to make grace abound all the more? Paul anticipates that, the, that what we would take away from this is no matter the greatness of your sin, no matter what you have done, Christ's grace far surpasses. It's superabounding. It, it so far overwhelms it, it can be counted as forgotten. That is how far Christ's grace extends. And so as you look at your life, as you look at your heart, as you consider the heinous, vile, awful things that you have thought and said and done, you can know that Christ's grace is sufficient. As Thomas Goodwin wrote, as large and as various as our wants, so large and various are his mercies. That is who Jesus Christ is. It is not the greatness of our sin that drives Christ away. Rather, it's the greatness of our sin. It is the greatness of how we failed that, that draws Christ to us. He's moved to mercy and pity. What a terrible sinner we are. And yet he loves us and is drawn to us and offers us forgiveness and mercy. There is not a single person that you could talk to on the streets and, and share the love of Christ with that you could not, that you, you can be confident any person that you share the love of Christ with that Jesus can, uh, can cover their sins too. You can say that confidently. There is no sin so great. So if you're ministering in the prison among murderers and thieves, Christ's grace is sufficient. If you're talking to your friends at school who are concerned that they've, that they've fallen into this sin and they're afraid of what their parents will think, Christ's grace abounds. Whenever you get to the end of your life, and that niggling little sin, that thing that you committed so long ago comes up, you can say, Christ died for that too. I love this from Dane Ortland, from his book, Gentle and Lowly. We cannot present a reason for Christ to finally close off his heart to his own sheep. No such reason exists. Every human friend has a limit. If we offend enough, if a relation gets, relationship gets damaged enough, if we betray enough times, we are cast out. The walls go up. With Christ, our sins and our weaknesses are the very resume items that qualify us to approach him. We need his grace we need his mercy, and he delights to give it. Whether we see small sins or big sins, Christ delights to save sinners such as us. Although some sins are worse in God's sight, there is no sin so great that Christ's grace cannot cover it. 
So brothers and sisters, with hearts filled with assurance, let's draw near to him. Let's not let our sin keep us from him. In fact, let let that sin be motive for why you need to come and talk to him. He is not afraid of the depths of your depravity. He entered into it to redeem you. He calls us to repent and to believe and to trust that he, he alone, can deal with the greatness of our sin. Amen. Let's go to him now. Our God, indeed, if, if it were not for the blood of Jesus Christ, we would have no hope to draw near to him, not to draw near to you. For Lord, in and of ourselves, our sin is great. We can look at all areas of our life and see the ways that we have made a mess of things, ways that we have gone astray from your, from your holy standard. Lord, and, and we can maybe even see the immensity of the sins that we've committed. Lord, we would, we would not approach were it not for your assuring us that in Christ he can cover our every sin, that the blood of Christ is sufficient, that he died once for all, for all of our sins. Not one thing can condemn us. And so we pray, Lord, that you would help us to believe. Help us to believe when we see the sinfulness of our life. Help us to believe that there is that there is no, no sin that pushes us so far away from you. Lord, there's no sin that we've done so many times. There is no sin that we have delighted in so greatly that when, looked back, when we look back to you in repentance, Lord, that we do not have forgiveness for. Lord, we thank you for the hope that we have in Jesus. We pray that we would sing with our hearts, Lord, of your amazing grace. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Brothers and sisters, let's stand and sing to our God. Amazing grace.
look up with the eyes of faith and receive this blessing from your God. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.